Companies looking to raise money are asking themselves,、uh, what do these investors think of my company? What do these investors think of this industry? And how are they going to make their decision as to whether or not to invest in me or not?、Uh, today, I ask those questions of an investor.、Uh, we're lucky enough to have Robert Seidel on the line with us in this week's episode of the Tech Emergence Podcast.、Uh, Robert is managing partner of Modus Ventures, who focuses a lot on the domains of autonomous vehicles as well as Internet of Things. And he talks about the various uh, uh, data sources and people and networks where investors draw information when they do not have it on hand and when they have to make important calls as to whether to invest or not, or how much to invest, or where to find interesting companies, sort of where do investors draw their information from. And he also gives some idea of Uh, how he sees sort of this frothy investment environment of artificial intelligence itself. When will it cool off?、Uh, what areas are most exciting? Where is there the most confusion right now in the investing space? He gives some of his perspective on how that's developing and what it's like to sort of be an investor in that world today. So, interesting insight for investors and startups alike. Hopefully, you guys enjoy this episode with Robert Seidel of Modus Ventures. So, Robert, the the first question that I wanted to be able to go into in this interview、um, is in the the around the topic of investing in domains that aren't necessarily your academic expertise.、Um, you know, at Modus, you guys are investing in、uh, Internet of Things. You're investing in in companies that are that are leveraging machine learning. A lot of these fields are moving very quickly. They're very amorphous. Not everybody in your team has academic background in these domains. How how do you sort of get the the empirical backing to make those decisions? Without that being, you know, an academic focus, what what do you have to do as an investor to make those calls? Well, actually,、uh, Dan, we try to be knowledgeable in the areas that we invest in. So we try、sense. not to invest in areas we have no idea about. So we actually focus at at Motors Ventures. We focus on a few specific domains. We try to be good in those, and we don't do things elsewhere. So we focus on autonomy, machine learning in、uh, areas of. Uh, self-driving vehicles and transportation in general, and in Internet of Things, industrial as well as consumer. So those are our areas. We don't do healthcare. We don't do social. We don't do medical devices.、Um, we don't do airplanes. So the focus allows us to both learn about a particular technology as it evolves,、yep. as well as to leverage knowledge that we gain from one company discussion or one、uh, customer discussion to the next. Company that we look at. Yes, yes. And、uh, actually,、uh, maybe we're different in some sense also from from other VCs. Other VCs have maybe a, a financial background, and they look at、uh, the the business models more from a financial perspective, which you can do if the business is a little bit more mature already,、yep. and or the 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 market they play in is mature, and you understand the models. You literally can make a spreadsheet of you know how the market will evolve and what the different drivers are. A lot of the businesses that we look at are very early stage technology companies, and so both the managing partners, myself and Jim Pisanto, are engineers by background. We both have done multiple startups. I think together we've done eleven in the last twenty five years,、um, and we love that early space. We love、uh, technology heavy, you know, a lot of IP that's differentiable from competitors.、Um, and we work very closely with with our、uh, founders. We get. Typically, in touch with companies when they're two to ten people, something in that order of yep, size. Yep, they yep. they have an early stage prototype. They have technology. They may be well before、uh, you know presentations to companies, 
Uh, we help them figure out what a business plan is, what a go-to-market strategy is, because that's often not the same thing. We help them figure out what uh, uh, reference customers are. These are people that you do proofs of concept with. Um, you know, they're not really the late-stage revenue customers. Uh, they're, they, they are also useful to have as partners, but those are different things. So we help them figure out a business strategy and evolve that technology strategy. We get quite quite hands-on with, with our companies, and we like that, and we can add value to that. And because we stay in our domains, um, we, we can transfer knowledge and a lot of uh, relationships with companies that we have on the, on the potential exit side. Yep, got it. Okay, so, so one, one sort of general frame here that you're bringing up, and, and, and I, there are firms, I think, that do this, and some of whom we've interviewed, and there are firms that they really don't as much, who we've also interviewed, have uh, particular domain focuses. For you folks, it's kind of twofold on the autonomy and vehicles side of things, ground vehicles. I think technically you can call an airplane a vehicle, but for our, you know, your, your intents and purposes here. Uh, and then, and then the internet of things. So by limiting there, you can at least look at two kinds of scopes, be staring at those domains all the time and, uh, be abreast of that as opposed to moving in 40 different directions. So one way is just beginning with focus. It sounds like Robert, um, even within those domains, obviously you've got a technical background yourself within those domains. Um, there's a lot of developments, right? Uh, in, in two years, uh, industrial internet of things will have a number of, uh, sort of out of the blue, you know, potential trends or developments or technologies, um, that, probably makes sense within your framework of that field, but might also be sort of new. Uh, you had mentioned another thing that you, you stay plugged in or you can learn from one company, transfer that knowledge because you're in the same domain. You can find partner companies or vendors or what have you that might plug into multiple companies. Um, what are those other sort of grounders uh, in, in, in reality that help you make uh, educated decisions in these fast-moving domains? Beginning with focus makes sense. Learning company to company and staying in touch with vendors makes sense. Is it also, you know, uh, talking to the bigger players in this field? Is it also doing any kind of other kinds of industry level research around, you know, money being invested in different areas? What are those other activities that you have to undertake to kind of stay abreast of these fields that you're focused on? Absolutely. So we we obviously work with our startups for sure, um, and but we also talk constantly with. Um, large industry players. So whether those are in the auto industry, and of course you know that pretty much every automaker in the world has come to Silicon Valley in the last five years, yes, so it's been yes, 15, <laughs> yep. um, to figure out how they can partake in this software revolution that's happening around the car. Um, and so we're talking you know, with everybody from Daimler, VW, Toyota, as well as the new players in this space that are coming uh, largely from China. And we talk to existing large uh, multinationals, uh, whether it's Cisco, whether it's LG, Samsung, ABB, Siemens, that all have an interest in IoT, in devices, in, in software, gaining more software uh, um, know-how as well as, as companies to acquire or to partner with. And our, our focus is also in looking at business models that integrate multiple levels. So we like uh, companies that have sensor, software, or service vertical integration. Apple is a great example of that. In an iPhone, you have sensors. There's a lot of software in an iPhone, but they also have a service component with all the different cloud things. And so most of our startups have you know, some level of vertical integration, which actually helps lock in the value over time and, and mine that more. You start maybe with a little bit of hardware that enables a new kind of uh, 
industry to take shape, but then you secure that long term because the hardware itself is going to be commoditized fairly fast. But you secure that with with software and services on top. So to give you an example, we have yeah, I was going to say what's a good example in a yeah. company that um, does a technology called lidar. Um, yep, if you're familiar yep, with the yep. Google cars, everybody see the picture of the Google car with the big uh, crown on top, the, yes, the KFC uh, bucket. <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's yeah. called the lighter. It's the same as radar, but it's done with light. Yep. So there's a, a rotating drum that shoots out pulses of light and, it, and measures how long it takes for that pulse of light to bounce back off an object and come back. And because you know how fast the speed of light is, you can compute how far an object is away that it bounced off of. And if you do that, you know, two million times a second, you get a cloud of, of dots in 3D space around the car that gives you an idea of what the environment is. Well, yep. the first Google uh, sensor that actually was uh, deployed came out of the DARPA research uh, company called Velodyne, and um, that cost $75,000. And it was a spinning thing, and it was uh, very sensitive, and it was exposed to the elements. Well, our company we funded uh, three years ago as a seed uh, investment um, builds solid-state lighters. So a chip, there are no moving parts. This is very important for car makers, of course, because anything that has moving parts is likely to uh, need a lot of maintenance or replacement because yep. uh, people treat cars roughly. Second, sure you can't have anything um, that spins on the outside of a vehicle because somebody will get hurt. Third, it has to be um, small enough to be buried in the skin of a vehicle. And fourth, it has to be cost-effective. So $75,000 is more than twice uh, most vehicles, so that doesn't really work for a sensor. And so uh, Equanogy, the company that we funded, here in Silicon Valley, is building basically a CMOS chip uh, that uses uh, solid-state photonics to do the same thing for $200. And the point, and you had mentioned you had mentioned sort of the trajectory here, and I just want to visualize this and be able to do the same for the audience, um, that you know the, the goal is to have whatever sensor or hardware or something proprietary that can sort of build in some lock-in uh, for the longer-term uh, value of the company. As you'd mentioned, many... Uh, many types of hardware will eventually become commoditized. What's what's that sort of transition, I suppose, for this this company you're referring to here? Um, step one, uh, solid state, um, much less expensive LiDAR model, uh, less of kind of the, the KFC bucket that we're used to out here in Mountain View. Um, and, and how does that transition forward in the way that, that you had mentioned before with the rest of your investments? Yeah, I'll give you an answer that uh, relates both to Quantigy and then to another one of our investments that we have called Civil Maps in Berkeley. Cool. So Quantigy does make the sensor, but the sensor alone doesn't really help car makers because what they need is something out of that sensor. Give me, you know, give me what the sensor sees. And so the raw cloud of points in 3D is not enough. They want to know, okay, where is an obstacle? Uh, how much space uh, in front of me do I have? Uh, before I hit that obstacle. Is that obstacle moving left or right? Uh, if it's moving out of my way, I don't have to worry about it. But if it's moving into my way, then I do have to worry about it. All of these things are software that uh, basically have to come with a sensor. And then there's higher levels on top of that. So I mentioned Civil Maps, the other company that we have, uses machine learning to turn these point clouds collected by, by LiDAR, for example, or they could be collected with cameras as well, um, into maps, high-definition, self-driving maps. Everybody's familiar with the Google Maps, and Apple Maps, and the things we have in, in our cars from, from here or TomTom. Or Tom. 
those are maps for humans. They tell you what street you need to go on next and where you turn left and so forth in yes. order to get to your destination. A self-driving car needs much, much, much more precise maps. It needs to know not just what road you're on, but what lane you're in and where you are within the lane because you don't want to crash into the car next to you that uh, you may not be able to sense, but you, sh you know, should be staying in your lane. And so turning um, raw data into maps that have meaning or they're called semantic maps or HD maps uh, for self-driving cars is a tough problem. And the current tools for making maps are both human intensive, human labor intensive. Yep, yep. They are error prone. And when I say error prone, I mean 15% error. But, but when humans label things, it doesn't sound so bad. But when you drive into every seventh grandma that you see, that, that is bad, right? Uh, if, you, if you turn it into an automated system. For sure. And then the cost factor, the scalability is, is, is crucial. So the current pipelines that companies like here or, or TomTom have don't really lend themselves to the volume and the precision that's needed for self-driving. So that's why invested, we invested in civil maps because they have machine learning tools that do that on a massive scale and uh, largely uh, completely on its own. Yeah, with computers. That's that's a very a very. I was just at a robotics. I was doing the press pass thing at a X economy conference yesterday, and just learning about how many different kinds of um, location and sensing and spatial and distance kind of sensors and systems need to be in place for vehicles and for drones. You know, you like as you had mentioned. You know, GPS is okay, but it can't be everything you have. Um, in some cases, you know, LiDAR is okay, but in, in some cases, maybe it can't be everything you have. So there's obviously a lot of technologies that go into that ecosystem, and that's a world where you guys are embedded. L last question on this on this uh, initial question, uh, just to sort of wrap up the topic of of honing in around your domain of expertise. Um, you know, you stay plugged into the big companies. That seems to make sense. You you stay connected into your uh, your existing startups and get to learn a lot there, and a lot of that knowledge transfers. Every now and again, I can imagine there are domains, a uh, particular kind of sensor, maybe a particular kind of trend analysis of the development of a certain kind of hardware or software that maybe no one in the building is necessarily all that familiar with. Um, do you guys work with some degree of a like a formal stable or is it just personal contacts that you maybe pull in during certain decisions? There might be times where like, man, you know, if we're going to make the call of how much to invest in, in X company, we really should have somebody that knows... Um, you know, this thing, or we really should have somebody that's very, that's also very invested in the future of this uh, industry. I can imagine that pulling in those kind of brain parts that you may not have from your previous experience is important when you're allocating money and is important when you're projecting trends. Um, how do you sort of plug in uh, the people you need or the knowledge you need, I guess, at, at those critical decision points? Is it as simple as, you know, you got, you got a big old personal CRM and you're, you just have them all tagged to you know, tagged in whatever they could possibly be relevant for. And when you need something, you just, you know, make four phone calls before you, you make a decision to invest. How does that work as an investor? Because it does seem like a, a complex but very personal process to, to rope folks in like that. Yes, that's a very good question. Uh, it would be so great if I knew everything. Be oh man, me too. Me too. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> but uh, it's always, uh, you know, humbling to see how much we don't know, and and so we have uh, actually from both the business side and the technical side, we we look for uh, more permanent relationships than just our, you know, constant visits to customers and and partners. So on the business side, we actually have assembled an advisory board, which if you go to the motorsventures.com website, you'll see there's a bunch of people that we that we have there. 
from all over industry. There are people from Navtech and the um, Trimble navigation and GPS industries. We have the the head of uh, uh, FedEx, uh, um, uh, FedEx Express, the, the delivery um, uh, company worldwide. We have people from Google Ventures, uh, people from from uh, uh, IoT. So if you look at the website, these are people that have been in the business. They are uh, either retired now or, or are consultants, and they are on our advisory board. They are yeah. part of the uh, company, and so they get paid in, in shares. Ah, okay, okay. So when you and set so up the these people we firm, use for, yeah, yeah, yeah. for industry contacts, we ask because they've seen yep, a lot of yep, these, yep. Uh, wheels go by, and we ask them for the business models and the dynamics of of money, law, and finance. Uh, you know the the who pays whom in the value chain. Yes. So that's great from the business side. Um, and then we have a lot of uh, university contacts. So we work closely with Berkeley, Berkeley Path. We are part of uh, the Berkeley uh, incubator program called Berkeley Skydeck. is actually where Civil Maps comes out of. Uh, we work with the Berkeley uh, Sensors and Actuation uh, uh, Institute. We are here at Stanford with Stardex, the incubator here. Uh, we and, have, and I guess they, that probably benefits them as well, right, Robert? I mean, they they want to have investors in the building because that that keeps startups wanting to kind of go to Stanford because, like, hey, look, you we can get you plugged into all these cool folks who might end up investing in you. So it's that's probably a, a pretty solid mutual thing that universities invite. Yes. And in fact, if you go to Berkeley or Stanford in every dorm of 14 people, there's probably 20 startups. So <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. the culture here is definitely that's, conducive. To that is that. how yes. it works. Yes. <laughs> we also work with internationally. So we have a lot of contacts in China. We think China is a really gro uh, strong growth market for a lot of this technology. And self-driving might actually be implemented in China uh, due to government and, and regulation issues faster than, than here. Yeah, in the I've US heard that before Europe. as well. Yep. Working closely with the Germans, who have a lot of background in in uh, motor technology and yep. and the you know the whole process around it, so we have a close partnership with the University of Aachen. In fact, we helped uh, establish a subsidiary here in uh, San Jose called FKASV for Silicon Valley, and they do a lot of work with driving simulators and sensor simulation. Um, and so, so we've got you've got the network to reach out to. Part of it involved, and I, I imagine. Almost every firm has this to some degree, but maybe it's important for the, the startups tuned in to, to be aware of this. Um, your your advisory board, who who is actually sort of financially at stake, so this is different than, hey, I've got this guy in the Rolodex. If I really tell him it's an emergency, I could probably get him to a coffee. You've got the right bigger industry folks in play who have the broader connections, whose tentacles can reach out far. And rather than like a coffee in a favor level of, of – uh, you know, willingness to do so, they've really committed themselves to, to being part of the company and, and seeing part of the returns of the company. So early on when you establish the firm, I imagine that's a pretty important decision for you guys, who those people are going to be. And I imagine if there's companies who at some point are going to pitch you folks, if they're smart, they should probably look at who's on that board and understand a little bit more about maybe what would be a relevant reference or what would be a relevant example or maybe who might be a relevant contact, because those are probably some some pretty uh, big deal folks when it comes to making the larger decisions for you guys. That's right. I Got mean, it. we 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 view that as a value add that we have, oh, and yeah. uh, e even though we, of course, do kind of the Rolodex call ups when we do our due diligence, yep. when we do yep. our first scratch and sniff on, you know, do you want to do a proof of concept with these guys? 
that is, um, how shall I say, sporadic, shall we say, the, yes, uh, the interaction, yes. versus what we do with our startups, where some of our advisors basically get glued to a startup, and they are on the you know regular advisory courts. We have weekly and biweekly advisory courts with our startups. We go to customer meetings with them. We're very involved with them. We help them evolve the strategy. So... If if a startup says we don't need any of that, then you know they could pro- if they, if they just want money, they could probably go elsewhere. Um, we view us as bringing in both uh, the contacts and the the expertise in terms of you know going from a technology prototype to an actual business uh, as what we bring to the table as well. As yeah, I, I think uh, there are probably few VCs that stay in business um, with with nothing more than just money. Uh, so that's that's a you know obviously an, an angle an angle that's that would be required. Um, lastly, here Robert, just knowing that we're we're uh, coming right up on time, but I think you would have a better feel for this um, than uh, than I do intuitively. Uh, we recently did a poll here at Tech Emergence. We do a lot of consensus work, and we talk to maybe thirty or forty different uh, executives and founders of AI companies, and ask them, you know, what do you think kind of the investor sentiment is around machine learning and AI, which I know is part of what you guys focus on to some degree. Um, you know, from the investor side, you're networking with investors. You know, founders and execs oftentimes aren't really, uh, you know, they don't have the full view. They kind of get a sense from what it's like across the table. You're on that side of the table as an investor. When you look around the investment world, whether here in the Valley or elsewhere, what do you think sort of the the investment sentiment is around machine learning and AI? Do, do you sense sort of, you know, obviously there's always some degree of caution, obviously some degree of skepticism, no matter what technology we're talking about, but how do you see it generally? And, and maybe how have you, see it, have you seen it changed? Oh, it's a very hot space. There's no doubt about it. Um, and unlike some others, you know, VR is a hot space too. Uh, you know, in the Gartner hype cycle, it's got to be somewhere near the very top. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it, it's not a market that exists yet, really, right? It's We're all waiting for it to happen. Yep. Um, this is not the same when you're talking about self-driving cars or uh, advanced driver assistance systems or, or you know, maybe drones far more into that, you know, early stage. We do have a drone company in, with a sensor in agriculture because we do believe that is coming. And thank goodness the uh, FAA recently really re- reduced some of the requirements. But yep, yep, I saw the that. machine learning space is definitely hot. And in the 35 uh, years that I've been in, in computers, it is by far the most rapidly developing uh, in terms of results, showable results, technology that I've seen. And it goes across the board, whether it's chatbots, translation, perception, visual understanding, sensor fusion, uh, planning. Um, it, it's at the same time very exciting and a bit scary how fast this stuff is improving because it is starting to outpace the methodology of how we validate and certify these systems. Ah, huh. and especially, in the, it doesn't matter so much if your search goes bad, right? Or if you're if Facebook misclassifies you, uh, you know that's not John, that's Jack from the party last night. Or yeah, something. whatever. But yeah. if you're traveling with a vehicle at eighty miles an hour and you could kill somebody if those well, misclassifications happen. So definitely, it's it's tricky. And uh, <clears throat> the traditional players in the industry, um, you know, the traditional car makers <clears throat> are very cautious. And but they are confronted with the new guys on the block around here that are doing things extremely quickly and are saying, "Well, we can, you know, we can do this in three months, and you know, uh, for two hundred bucks." And of course, there's some bravado there. George Hotz is a great example of that. But on the other hand, you know. P- companies are buying 
it's so hard to invest in companies because they're getting bought before you you can invest in them. And Interesting. Is so, them, whether it's Google or Facebook or you know not not small numbers. These are you know hundreds of millions. Yeah, of dollars. yeah, yeah. So so we're talking about now. This is interesting, and we'll wrap on this. But I, I do want to flesh it out because this is it's pretty fascinating to hear uh, from you in terms of you know the, the pace. Um, you know these companies are getting bought out by the bigger players oftentimes before investment you know is even possible or very early on. That creates a little bit of sort of rabidness. It, it sounds like the the demand is even higher than the supply. And you know from from my perspective, it's sort of like man, there's no shortage of you know quote-unquote AI startups sort of popping up all over the place. But it sounds like, you know, despite that, from, from the perspective of an analyst like myself, there, there is still just so many places to get snapped up if you're, if you're an artificial intelligence company. Um, I, I guess that in, to, in some way that makes, that makes your guys' job a little bit, uh, you, we could say, more challenging because you've got to assess such a fast-moving technology in a very frothy sort of, you know, uh, a very, very frothy competitive field. Um, and so I, I suppose that's where focus comes in. But do you feel like other investors feel the same way where they feel like, man, I can't, you know, sometimes I can't even get in on these things because the big guys are buying them out. Well, or the prices go up, right? After, yeah. after Kyle Lopes company, cruise automation in San Francisco was bought by GM for a billion dollars with 40 people company and no product yet. Um, Everybody uh, who was in their dorm room uh, working on machine learning or had done like the Andy Inc. course on Coursera said, oh, I can do a company. I should, I, maybe I don't get a billion. Maybe I get like 300 million or something. <laughs> I have a bit of code here. So um, there's a lot more chaff between the wheat at the moment because of that. Um, and so we, you know, hopefully we can, you know, give them our background and, and existing relationships and companies that we have in that space. Uh, filter that a bit more appropriately. We yeah. see a lot of players, and a lot of players literally just came to the table yesterday after they saw, you know, the big exits uh, of, you know, that went into Google and the car makers. But there are more coming. That's no doubt. Thank goodness. So it's it's gonna it's gonna stay that way. It sounds like at least for the time being. Um, and uh, you know, hopefully the the other investors out there are gonna think through this vehemently and make the right call. No, on um, the contrary, I hope they stay away from this. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They should tur turn around and walk away. Um, but I, I, do I VR, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Go, go to, uh, go to 3D printing or something. Um, that's right. But, uh, but yeah, it sounds like focus will behoove you guys in this, uh, in this cabal of, of what sort of the AI investment world is looks like. It's, it's interesting to hear your perspective on the field at large. Robert, that's all that we had for time, but I appreciate you sharing your perspective with us here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. You're very welcome, Dan. Pleasure. That wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in and I'll catch you next week.